Miami Grand Prix filled with sunshine, smiles, excitement, red flags. Anton, what were your thoughts? Well, not too many red flags during the race, were there? <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but it was a good uh, it was a good race weekend, and I'm excited to start talking about it. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so usually, as we all know, we start with going into any adjustments that took place on the track this year. Uh, this is the second race that's ever taken place at in Miami for the Grand Prix. Now, what we can mention is a few things. One is they shortened the DRS zones by about a hundred meters, roughly similar to what they did in Baku and the entire track had resurfacing done. So the Miami Grand Prix has three sectors and three DRS zones. And one thing to mention is temperature. Temperature plays a huge part in this location. Max Verstappen once said that this last year was the most physically demanding track that he experienced because of the heat. So we knew going into this weekend that anything was possible. Was it going to be really hot? Was it going to rain? Anything was up for grabs. True. I think in the end it did turn out to be not as physical as it was last year. I think uh, in the cool down room, we heard the drivers talk about that. But yeah, you're right. The circumstances in Miami are are not the same as they are in, in some of the other weekends. So yeah, that was definitely one of the unknowns heading into this. Right. It wasn't as, it didn't seem like it was as physically demanding on Sunday. However, Friday and Saturday, wind definitely played a factor, it seemed, during practice and qualifying. So going over the upgrades for this weekend, we saw Ferrari and Haas with a new floor body, Alfa Tari, they had a modified front wing and side pod inlet. Alfa Romeo had a beam wing upgrade and pretty much the rest of the grid did not have any upgrades except for anything that's track specific. All right. So going into practice, Samantha, what were your thoughts? Well, we mentioned the fact that it was quite windy and uh, we also saw quite a few drivers going wide. Uh, on several turns during FP1, we saw Albon, De Vries, Leclerc, Gasly. They were slipping during turn 11 to 13. Uh, that seemed to be quite a danger zone. We saw Albon um, finding quite a bit of pace, I found, during practice. Hulkenberg, he was doing purple sectors in FP1, and then unfortunately he crashed into the wall coming out of turn three, which triggered a red flag during that practice session. Moving into FP2, we saw once again other situations where drivers either crashed or just narrowly missed the wall. We saw Magnussen brush the wall. He was lucky. He definitely got away with that. So we saw in turn 14 uh, during FP2, both Hamilton and Magnussen just dodging the wall. That seemed to be a spot. That chicane through turn 14 and turn 15 caused quite a few problems. And then drivers like Yuki and Leclerc also went deep during certain parts of the track itself. Moving along into FP3, once again, we saw situations that, in at least my mind, were foreshadowing for what qualifying or the race was potentially going to be like. We saw drivers really struggling with grip. We saw the wind playing a factor, track temperature itself. The soft tire choice was a little bit nerve-wracking to say the least because that seemed to be where a lot of teams struggled with grip we also saw some drivers express their own personal frustrations one being Perez who 
was very strong, as we know, in Baku, finishing the sprint and both uh, the race at the top of the podium. But he was mentioning that he was struggling through the practice session. So it was really an unknown as to what was going to happen with him. Verstappen, on the other hand, he looked to be in fine form in FP2 and FP3. He was topping the practices by a very wide margin. So things look to be moving in the right direction from for him heading into qualifying and then hopefully the race. What were your thoughts when it came to the practice sessions? Well, let me just pick out two of the drivers that you mentioned. Uh, I think it's interesting you were mentioning that in your view, again, Albon and Hülkenberg had good practice sessions because I think those are the two drivers for me that over the course of this season, as far as we've gotten so far, those are the two that stand out for me on, well, I weren't, wasn't expecting those two to do as good as they are over single laps. So both in, in practice sessions, but also in qualifying sessions, when we look at the first five races, I think they're doing a better job than I expected them to. Uh, Albon, probably not so much because I was doubting his driver ability, but more on the Williams. Uh, that car really seems to have improved during the course of the of the off season, and then Hulkenberg is quite surprising that he's doing that well, uh, having been out of F1 uh, for a while. That's that's something that really catches my attention. But uh, but yeah, no, um, I think uh, I don't have any other points. I think you <laughs> you went over everything there. Yeah, Hulkenberg really has, his strengths have been during qualifying this year. He really, really has done well. So with the upgrades that Haas has, this is their home race. So it was unfortunate that he crashed because he was doing purple sectors. I mean, he was he was putting on some flying laps during practice. And like you mentioned, Albin as well was doing really well. So, yeah, Hülkenberg has been doing very well, especially in qualifying in the other races. But now, finally, Magnussen was able to do a little bit better. But I guess that's already talking into qualifying. So what about moving into qualifying, Sam? What do you think? Okay, so when it comes to qualifying, we'll start, first of all, where everybody placed. So taking pole was Sergio Perez. Coming in at P2 was Fernando Alonso. P3, Carlos Sainz. P4, Magnussen. P5, Gasly, P6, Mercedes, George Russell, P7, Charles Leclerc, P8 was Esteban Ocon, P9 was Max Verstappen, and rounding out the top 10 was Valtteri Bottas, which I will mention the fact that for Bottas, it was nice to see him enter Q3 because he has been struggling this season, trying to find pace in that car. Now, a few other notable mentions, I will say, between eleven and P11 and P20, you touched on the fact that Albin was doing well. He did manage to finish P11, and Hulkenberg followed him in P12. Surprisingly, Hamilton finished P13, and he was unable to make it into Q3. Also, I will say Alonso's teammate, Lance Stroll, finished in P18, and both McLaren drivers were unable to make it past Q1, with Norris finishing in P16, Piastri finishing in P19. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you're listing the the final grip positions for the race that if you don't know what happened in Q3, that might sound quite surprising having Magnussen there on P4 and Gasly on P5. 
But uh, right. of, of course, qualifying was a little bit uh, tricky, especially Q3. But yeah, you're right. Um, other other things that um, might be worth well, to mention is that De Vries finally, for his first time, was able to uh, to get out of Q1. Well, not the first time he did so last year, but uh, but yeah, that was um, that was a little bit better from him compared to previous races where he was always pretty far behind Sonoda. But again, yeah, in the race, uh, things wouldn't turn out for him either. And um, yeah, I was surprised uh, to see Hamilton not make it into Q3. I guess regarding McLaren, well, yeah, we we're seeing how the season's going for them. They had um, they had a good race in in Australia, but that was a bit of an outlier, mostly because of the rest of the teams not performing very well. But their season really seems to go towards well. I mean, if you hear both drivers talking about it as well, it's it's. I think the whole atmosphere in that team right now is is kind of disappointing, which is a shame. But uh, I guess. These things happen. Yeah, and when it comes to Nick DeVries, I'll I'll mention it's a, it's good it's good that you brought that up about him managing to get into Q two because he really has been struggling this season as a rookie driver, and Yuki has been outperforming him. Baku he he did not do well. Uh, he he had definitely a few errors, and so going into this race, he def- he at this point he has quite a bit of pressure upon him. So seeing him manage to make it into Q two was great because it is something that maybe is a little more redeeming for his season so far. You mentioned McLaren and the McLaren woes; they break my heart. They really do. Uh, as somebody who has always loved. McLaren as a team, it's really tough to see where they're at right now, and it is in my fast five. So I'll elaborate a little bit later. Uh, but one of the things that we should mention is Verstappen. If again you don't know the results, if you don't know the out what took place during qualifying, you'd say, how did Verstappen, if he was doing so well during practice, end up in P9? Well, less than two minutes to go in Q3, Leclerc drew a red flag because he did crash into turn seven. Now, interestingly enough, it was the exact same location that he crashed in practice on Friday. But because he drew the red flag, it put the remainder of the drivers that were out there unable to have another go. For Verstappen, his issue was that he had abandoned his previous lap after going wide in the first sector. Now, he mentioned the fact that windy conditions also played a part in that, but he was unable to make any ground due to that red flag. You had mentioned the fact that Magnussen was able to take P4. He definitely benefited from Leclerc. And uh, yeah, unfortunate and a surprise to see Hamilton fail to get past Q2. We saw the Mercedes, although they finished at the top in FP1, we saw them struggling during practices, FP2, FP3, and unfortunately during qualifying as well. Yeah, and you had mentioned that Perez actually up until qualifying and also i would say during the first two sessions of qualifying he didn't have the best weekend at that point but his banking lap in q3 was actually pretty pretty good i think it was a 126.8 so with that he was able to take pull which i think <laughs> surprised him too because uh, yeah he didn't have a, he didn't have a very great weekend up until that point but uh, i guess tables can turn very quickly and um and yeah 
that was well the other thing i can mention <laughs> is that i uh, remember we finished our last episode of Baku with me saying that I was hoping for Sargent to to get into a good weekend here at his home race. And I guess right. in, general, in general, Sargent doesn't feel much pressure during this first rookie season. But I guess then your home race is going to be the only one where you feel you know, slightly raised pressure. But uh, but yeah, his, his qualifying session was horrible. It was. And... I know I watched an interview with him shortly after Baku where he was talking about the fact that those mistakes that he had actually are helping him grow and become that much stronger as a Formula One driver. And one cannot argue that. But it is unfortunate to see him in his home race struggle so much during qualifying and end up with a P20 result. Yeah, bit of a shame. But uh, but I guess that's that's how you learn. It most certainly is. So. <laughs> So before we get into the race, I have a question regarding the driver's helmets. As we know, the Miami Grand Prix, we saw Red Bull with a, liver, with a different livery, and we also saw several drivers with different helmets for this specific weekend. So which driver do you feel like had the coolest helmet? <laughs> it's going to be between Lando Norris and Alex Albon for me. Those two I really, really liked. And actually, um, I, I think I might give it to Lando also just because of the sequence of, of helmets. Uh, looking back at the one he had a year ago with the, with the basketball and now the, the, the swimming pool uh, ball, whatever you want yeah, to call it. Yeah, it was a beach ball. A beach ball, exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that was just, uh, I think that, but also the the album one was hilarious, including the video that they made about it. I don't know if you, if you catch that too. I did, I did. And and I, I liked on his helmet the grass yeah, <laughs> with, yeah, the, with exactly. the actual golf ball. Yeah, exactly, because the helmet isn't round either, right? So, you know, it it, it, it sort of straightens off at the, at the neck. So it, it was actually good thinking to put some grass there and, and then the, turning <laughs> it into the ball. But anyway, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's cool to see that during certain races, we have different liveries and different helmets. Um, it's, uh, I guess Miami is a great one to do it because yeah, of all the, of all the media attention and all the, I guess talking about attention, <laughs> do you want to say anything going into the race? Do you wanna... <laughs> I know what you're about to say. Yeah. I know what you're about to say. Say it. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to ask you what, what you thought about the introduction. Of the I drive. was waiting for it. Uh, okay. So. My personal opinion, and this is just my personal opinion, I wasn't a big fan. I just thought it was really over the top and exaggerated. It just, I understand that now they are, they are taking place, like this race is taking place um, at the Miami Dolphins Stadium. So it was an entrance that was similar to how maybe the team would the Miami Dolphins would enter the stadium so I understand certain elements but I just thought it was over the top and what can I say that's all that's all I can really say about it I felt like in some cases seeing some of the drivers come out and the introductions that were led were a little bit funny I felt bad for Yuki because they were they were saying something along the lines of he may not be that tall but he's mighty he made something to do with his height. And, you know, with Leclerc, he was battling for the world championship in 2022. So now he has to walk out knowing that he doesn't have a chance. At least it seemed that way to me for 2023. And 
yes, this this is all tongue in cheek. But for me, I wasn't a big fan. Now, I will also say that my friend who was with me watching the race, she actually had a different opinion. She actually really enjoyed it. She thought that it was fun. And what she had mentioned was she said, look, Sam, this is Miami. This is what they're going to do. It, they're in this. They're in the states. It, it's a lot more big and flashy. They're trying to bring the viewership, and again, it's Miami. Everything is big in Miami. So, with that respect, I can understand it. But again, on a personal opinion, or of in terms of how that entrance went, <laughs> I would have done it a little bit differently, or at least kept it relatively the same as it normally is. Yeah, it was a little bit. I thought it was slightly awkward. I think uh, Gasly was lucky because he wasn't even shot while he was walking in. But yeah, all in all, <laughs> I would just I would strongly suggest not to confuse different sports. But anyway, let's let's just move into the race because I think we've <laughs> <laughs> we, we've already spilled enough words on this. <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. So let's start, first of all, once again, with where everybody finished. So taking the top of the podium was Max Verstappen. Coming in at second with a Red Bull 1-2 was Sergio Perez. And rounding out the podium with P3 was Alonso. Now, the remainder of the top 10, we saw Russell with P4, Sainz taking P5, Lewis Hamilton taking P6, Charles Leclerc taking P7, Coming in at P8 was Alpine's Pierre Gasly, and following him was his teammate Esteban Ocon with P9. And rounding out the top 10 with the final point was Haas's Kevin Magnussen. And then it was Verstappen taking the fastest lap. Verstappen took fastest lap, and he also took driver of the day. True. So... While you were listing that, I was looking at the amount of people that had everything, <laughs> the amount of people that have every driver correctly predicted. So in the meantime, while we're going to go over the race, you can already boil this a little bit in your head and see where you're going to go with your predictions later onward. But anyway, let's go into let's go into the race and what what you thought was exciting about the race, because like we had said before, no red flags, not even yellow flags. Uh, no safety cars, no virtual safety cars. So we had actually 20 drivers who finished the race without any DNFs. So it was kind of like it was a strategical race, I would say. And what what caught your attention? What What were the things that were exciting for you? So, yeah, although we did not see a single retirement, which I don't even know when the last race was where that took place. Do you know when the last race was where we didn't see a single retirement? Good question. I, I think I heard that there's been 14 in the total history of the sport, but I have no idea when the last one was. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able wow. to tell you. Yeah, so it definitely is a rarity, right? But I would say there were really some some exciting moments regardless in the race. Red Bull's continued dominance to me is really cool to see because Perez initially started on pole position. And I thought that he had a brilliant start. He cut off Alonso's ability to try to make an advantage on him. And at that point, I mean, the straight line speed with the Red Bulls themselves, they're just in a class of their own. So the his largest competitor was going to be Verstappen. Verstappen coming from starting from P9 to eventually finish and take po the top of the podium. 
And his overtakes, the one overtake that is, I will not forget, is burned in my brain, is the overtake that he had with Magnuson and Leclerc. I thought that was really, really exciting. It was. No, I definitely like watching that too. Yeah. And and the overtake on Russell as well, where he broke he braked late and managed to just coast by him. I thought that was great. But for him, it's just he he's so impressive. And to see a driver with he he's in a position where he starts off on hards and he manages to go forty-five laps before he pits even once. And during that entire time, during those forty-five laps, you saw a lot of drivers struggling with their tire degradation. And for him, he's not only able to last that long, but he's also able to overtake the drivers as he did. Now, mind you, we know Red Bull is, like I said, in a league of their own when it comes to their straight line speed. But it also goes to show the skill and the efficiency of him as a driver to be able to effectively manage his tires throughout that duration of a period and also, he was still secure. He was also taking fastest lap time and time again. It, once he got closer to Perez, I believe once he had overtook Alonso, there was a, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the gap between him and Perez was roughly about 3.5 seconds. Mm-hmm. He managed to shorten that gap in, and I can't remember how many laps, but it was it was a very, very tight window. So you're thinking to yourself, Perez, he he hasn't even pitted, and he's managed to take the mo- the maximum amount of pace out of that car as he possibly could. It was impressive. It was really impressive. True. Yeah, it was interesting to to see the race, and and especially yeah, strategically, it was interesting to see that um, because there was a couple of drivers starting on hard tires, and uh, well, obviously it played out very well for Verstappen. Uh, but it didn't mean that for all the drivers who were starting on hards that they had a good race. I think mostly for Stoppen and Tsunoda, because Tsunoda started way back at P17 and he did manage to finish P11, which is actually, if you look at it, it's very consistent from Tsunoda because in the first five races he's finished P11 three times and P10 twice. So for Stoppen and Tsunoda had a good race starting uh, on hards and going into mediums but then you know other drivers that did the same thing uh Hulkenberg and joe well i think hamilton also started on, on on hards right and he had a pretty decent race so that strategy did pay off but i don't think that prior to the race at least myself i was thinking that uh, it was a little bit of a risk to start on the hires uh, on the hards because i was expecting some some chaos at the start of the race and yeah being on hearts might have caught you out in in case of a of a red flag or a, or even a yellow flag but uh, yeah so that that was quite interesting to see how different strategies both strategies being used well i'm not considering starting on 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 the hard on the soft tires which both mclaren did that didn't pay out very well but uh, but the medium hard and the hard medium both seem to work for different drivers and 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 that was all well playing out at the same time it was it was it was very interesting to follow yes absolutely and and we saw several drivers be able to really make ground during the race. Uh, We saw Hamilton 
as an example you had just mentioned, he started in P13 and he managed to make his way to P6, which was quite impressive. I would say overall, the Mercedes definitely had a much better Sunday than they did Saturday. Uh, Saturday, it was questionable really seeing where they were going to land during the race. And I thought that Russell did a very good job of maximizing the pace out of his car and finishing in P4, just shy of the podium. And then for Hamilton, he had quite a few good overtakes that he managed to do. And like you said, they were able to, they both were on hards for a good part of the race and that seemed to work for them. And, and continuing on the tire strategies, did you realize that no single new tire has been used during the race by the Aston Martin? So both Alonso and Stroll only use scrub tires. I did not know that. Yeah, so Alonso uh, started on mediums and, and went on to hards and Stroll did the opposite strategy. Basically, Aston Martin did what, what Red Bull also did with Verstappen and Paris, but they did it on scrub tires, all of them. And also, when it comes to tire management, we can't say effective tire management without acknowledging Alonso as well, because he was on mediums for a considerable period of time, like you said, and he managed to hold off. Everybody else had switched to hards. He was still out there. Yeah, he did and 24 he did 24 laps on the on the scrub mediums, you're right. So, like you had mentioned the differences in the tire approach between Stroll and Alonso, with Stroll we found that he was really able to maximize his pace in the mediums once he pitted onto them. He was he had a few fastest laps at one point towards the end of the race. True. Yeah, I guess for him it was just catching up. Starting in P, was it P18? Yeah, I, I, at a certain point you were wondering whether he could make it into the into the first 10, but uh, yeah, uh, he, he didn't manage to do that, which is a bit of a shame because I think for the first part of the season we've all been, well, I would say moderately impressed with Stroll not being that far behind on Alonso. Obviously, with the qualifying that he had, <laughs> he, he he didn't give himself a good start. But uh, but yeah, he didn't have a bad race. He overtook a lot of cars. But on the other hand, yeah, if, you're, if you see how well the Aston Martin performs, I guess starting that far in the back, you, yeah... I guess if it would have been Alonso at P18, I wonder where he would have ended up. So, um, so yeah, it's it's difficult to really rate that. Did you see after the race, Alonso mentioning because on the radio at one point he had uh, he had said to his engineer that he had noticed the overtake that Stroll did, I believe, on Hulkenberg, and. So I was thinking, how did he manage to see that when he's driving during the race? And it was after the race that he had said that he could see on one of the big screen, big screens as he was driving the move. So I don't know how he managed to be able to watch on the screen while he's racing, while he's in third, but it's Alonzo. What can I say? Yeah, I, I'm just wondering what kind of clause he has in his contract uh, of publicly promoting the driving of of lance uh, he, he doesn't he doesn't leave a single opportunity untouched he he's going for it he he is such an entertaining driver on the grid i have to say every time every weekend he there's always something that makes you laugh when it comes to alonso 
Yeah, true. And he's kind of building up, I mean, uh, taking podiums four times in five races. It's it's really quite impressive. If he would have said that last year, I think I, I mentioned a similar thing in, in one of the previous episodes. But yeah, it's he's building up a climax, I suppose. Uh, I guess, well... I don't want to jinx it, but uh, it would just be it would just be so great to see him win a race this year. It really, really would. We'll see. So, okay, so that I think that pretty much wraps up the race coverage. Do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I think it would be interesting to see what we both have as fast fives to see wh- where we're going to put focus on. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to lie. I like, as we were going into the race, I touched on a few things from my fast five. <laughs> yeah. So did I, so did I. So, so what, yeah, spill it out. We're, we're really, we're, <laughs> we're really, really good at this. Every single, every single time we do this, but the one, the one, um, fast five that I really, really wanted to highlight is the McLaren woes, because I said this earlier, it's really heartbreaking to see how their season has been and after last week with the significant upgrades that they had in Baku and they had managed to find a little bit of pace during Baku so I was thinking that they were going to come into this weekend and we were going to see them really battle in the midfield and be back into that territory but it just wasn't the case it was the exact opposite it almost seemed like they took a, a step back and it started off with both drivers being unable to get into Q1 with a P16 and a P19 result at the start of the race, I didn't understand the the strategy behind putting both drivers on softs. When I saw that, I thought to myself, why? Uh, Now, maybe they had, of course, they had some sort of strategy in mind as to why they believe that was effective, but it was very early on that it was clear that that wasn't going to be the right approach because then they decided to abandon that decision and early on in the race they put both the drivers on hards now i would have said piastri actually had a pretty decent start so he was in he was in a in a all right position so to pit him at the same time as norris i questioned that as well again maybe there is some logic behind that decision i certainly hope so but the problem is, is that after doing that, both drivers were unable to really gain any further ground. And so they resulted with, like we said, a P17 and a P19 finish. Again, it's a team that typically you see in the, either in the midfield or in some cases fighting for a podium. And we just haven't seen a single opportunity where that's possible this year. So What does the future have for McLaren for this season, for the 2023 season? I don't know. But right now, it's not looking so bright. Yeah, I was surprised because starting on the soft tires is is a strategy you can pick. But what I just don't understand is why you're going to put both cars on the same strategy, like split the strategies and and see how the race unfolds. and, And you might get lucky with one. But if you put both on the softs and then, like you said, both switch to the hards immediately, it, it, it looked a bit clumsy to me, but uh, they're part of one of my fast fives as well, because I, (laughs) I realized that after this race, both Alpine and McLaren have 14 points now in the championship. And we saw a pretty, fierce fight between the two teams last year where basically McLaren had one really well they basically had one performing driver and that was it and Alpine had a good car but they kept on having issues with it 
And this year, it seems like uh, it's again, it's going to turn out to be a fight between one team that has a better performing car, Alpine. But, well, they've had a lot of woes as well uh, so far into the season. And then we have McLaren, which simply doesn't perform and might get lucky a race here and there. I really feel that Alpine's going to, again, get ahead of them uh, fairly easily. But at this point in the season, they're they're stuck at 14 points. So it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes, where they take it from here. Uh, perhaps McLaren could improve a little bit with a couple of updates but uh, yeah the, the future doesn't look particularly bright for them yeah and actually interestingly enough you mentioned alpine and i was thinking about that that last year we were seeing these two teams so close especially going into the end of the season fighting for that midfield position um and being uh, above each other but even the CEO of Alpine, Laurent Rossi, he was frustrated after this weekend. He expressed his frustration in the team because I would say Alpine is also struggling as well. Now, not on the same level as McLaren, but they've definitely had more of a challenging start this year. And one of the things that he had mentioned is, and this is a quote, this year we have started with a performance deficit on one hand and also an execution deficit. That's a lot and it shows. So he is not satisfied with the performance coming out of the team at this point. But it's strange because I think he mentioned this going into this weekend, which is a, that timing is a little bit peculiar to me because I don't think it helps in performance either to come out like that. The fact that both Gasly and, and Ocon finished in the points this week is actually an improvement in my mind. So... Look, I don't know what's going on with Alpine. Clearly, they wanted or expected themselves to be in a better position than where they are now. But I, they are, regardless, in a better position than McLaren at this point. And this is only the fifth race of the season that's just been completed. There is still a lot left of this of the year. So my hope, my optimism... Uh, is that McLaren is going to improve, that they're going to learn from these mistakes, that they're going to find the pace, that they're going to find whatever the issue is within the car that is causing them the most difficulty. But also, it seems like the strategic side as well, I really hope improves. You had said that as it's a really good point that you had mentioned the fact that both drivers were on softs because you don't know, maybe softs were something that one of them would have would have benefited from. But yeah, like you said, the fact that both of them were on softs, the moment I saw it, I went, oh no. <laughs> oh no. So we'll see what happens in the future with both those teams. True. And yeah, we also got to take into account that if, if we did have an early safety car, that uh, their strategy might have, have turned out slightly better than it did. But, uh, but yeah, those are what ifs. So... I think looking at one of the things that I find, but I already mentioned it previously, is that um, that Trinoda's consistently consistency is really really good. So that's one of my fast fives because actually, if you would have asked me prior to this season how I would rate Trinoda, is that I think he's a he's a very talented driver. He has he has quite uh, yeah there he has definitely some very strong points, but his consistency i would have rated as as one of his yeah lesser lesser sides and 
<laughs> I think he's been well. He's been disproving me for this season because it's it's ridiculous how how consistent he is. And I don't think that Alpha Tauri is such a good car this year. Um, I think De Vries is simply not up to the standard of of, of you know what should be driving for the team. If I'm really really honest, but uh, Tsunoda on the other hand is is. Yeah, definitely pushing the the upper limit of performance of that car. So um, that for me is is really a positive to take from um, from the first five races from Tsunoda. And um, it, it was a bit of a shame because I thought that it would have been possible for him to challenge Magnussen for that P10. Uh, I think um, uh, at a certain point he overtook Bottas, and then I thought he might still drive towards Magnussen, which he wasn't able to. And frankly, I'm very glad that Haas was able to to take that one point. I'm also glad for Magnussen outperforming Hulkenberg um, during this race. But um, but yeah, Tsunoda's definitely improved on his uh, on his consistency, and that's very good to see. I think he's also growing in terms of maturity this year. We see a little bit more of a mature Tsunoda on the track, and. He had Stroll in his rear view, to, rear view towards the end of that race. He Stroll was definitely gaining on him, but yeah. it it wasn't enough. And I was, I was hoping uh, that Yuki was going to finish where he was. Like you said, he's been really, really consistent this year, and he's definitely been the stronger driver of the two. I thought going into this season that that battle between the two drivers themselves on AlphaTauri was going to be a lot closer. Yeah, and. We don't know. I think that DeVries still has is, is an extremely talented driver. He's off to a rough start, but that's not to say that he can't improve and get much better. But Sonoda, so far, has been great. Yeah, and after, I mean, it's a shame last year at Alfa Tauri was, was really in a bad shape because I remember that last race of 21, uh, of course, the f- focus of attention was on other things, but Tsunoda actually finished P4 there. And I remember saying to myself that uh, I really thought that 22 was going to be the year for Tsunoda showing himself, but they basically lost a year. And, um, and, and it seems like this year he's he's gonna well let's see a little bit further into the season if we're still saying the same thing but i think he's really going to prove his his value to the team yeah yeah i agree i agree so give me one of your other fives fast fives okay well i'm not one that likes to uh focus on the negative aspects of the race but i feel like because we've touched on a few positives there is one other thing that is related to a driver struggling that I don't think we we can miss and that's Leclerc and how he's been faring the last this season we can map out and say this season so far uh, but if we touch on this race in particular he was really having a difficult time he crashed out in practice he crashed out in qualifying and he just seemed like he was unable to really make any considerable ground during the race itself. Now, mind you, it was entertaining to see his battle between Mag- Magnuson go back and forth often. Uh, but at the same time, you were hoping to see so much more. And it almost seems like he is deflated in terms of where he's at mentally. I know that he typically expresses the fact that he's hard on himself and there's no denying that, but I don't know if mentally that played a factor in his performance on Sunday. Yeah, I think it was also the first time this 
season that Sainz had a better performance than Leclerc. Of course, he also started further up the grid. He had a P3 start due to Leclerc spinning out in qualifying. So again, yeah, uh, Leclerc didn't have such a good weekend, just like you mentioned. And um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a good fight between him and Magnussen. But it was also rather strange to see a Haas fighting a a Ferrari um, like they did. What is your next Fast Five? Actually, before I even ask that question, I feel like <laughs> I probably already know what your next Fast Five is going to be. Can so I guess? Yeah, sure. Go okay. ahead. I think you're going to highlight a little bit more in terms of Magnuson's performance. Actually, no. Well, I kind of had that together with the Tsunoda part and, and <laughs> expecting there to be a fight between Magnuson and Tsunoda. I did... I did uh, definitely write down that Magnussen and, and taking a point for Haas home or keeping it at home or whatever you want to call it, that was a very good performance from his side. But what I want to mention as another Fast Five is I don't think we can forget to mention the the fight between Verstappen and Perez. I think that it would have been good for the season if, if Perez would have stayed ahead of Verstappen. Uh, I think that would have made it more exciting going into the next couple of races. But I'm glad to see that um, even though the Red Bulls are so far ahead of all the other cars, it's good to see that there's some sort of inter-team rivalry that has developed over the past few races. And that, um, yeah, I think it was, I don't for a long part of the race, you weren't quite sure if Verstappen would be able to stay ahead of, of Perez if he would pit or how far uh, Perez would be in front of him and, and how much time it would take him or how many laps it would take him to to overtake Perez. So that was exciting to see. Um, but uh, I guess the end result of it is that uh, Max is, is yeah quite a bit ahead of Perez and the next couple of races, well, the next couple of races are going to determine <laughs> how much further ahead he, he could possibly get. But if you have these kind of weekends where he where Verstappen has a setback and Perez has a pull and, and, and should be able to take points away from him, but doesn't, yeah, uh, I don't know. If I'm drawing the line, I'm thinking that um, uh, further ahead in the season, it's not going to be the battle that we have seen over the past five races. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I really enjoyed seeing the two of them fight on the track. Although it was brief, I really enjoyed it. It's it's refreshing at times to see uh, to see a, the team actually battle it out for the podium. And you know, we've seen actually. I should say this: we've seen teams succeed in doing that. We've seen teams. We've seen teams <laughs> not. Uh, we have seen situations where rivalries have. Uh, ended in disaster. But I thought that after the end of last season, I didn't know where the energy was going to be between those two drivers. And it seems like they have really evolved into a respect for each other, but also an understanding that both of them are going to compete on the track, whether it's with e whether it's with each other or with whether it's with um, anyone else and for the team. And it was really exciting to see. They both gave each other enough space. They weren't trying to uh, go for each other's throats, so to speak. <laughs> but it's impressive. And I think that 
you need somebody. Uh, you need somebody to be able to compete with Max to some degree because if you didn't have that, then who who else is going to be able to be at that caliber in the car that they have to match Max or even give him a run for his money this year? True, true. The other inter-team relationship that we saw not being damaged during this weekend was um, was Hamilton and, and Russell, where um, <laughs> you saw Russell's overtake on Hamilton, or Hamilton leaving space for Russell to, to get past him, and uh, George coming on the radio and thanking him. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time that you saw Hamilton be given team orders? Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, no, uh, it, it, but it was um, it was interesting to see. I think that dynamic is also uh, one of the more interesting ones to follow in the the remainder of the season, which is still still a very long one. Yeah, and I think that it was a. I'm I'm not a fan of team orders. I'm I'm more of a fan of battling it out. I think we both are. But regardless, if you're going to make that decision as Mercedes, it seemed like it was a wise decision to make having Russell get the advance because he did have he did have more pace in his car it seemed. Yeah, exactly. They were on very different strategies. I mean Russell started on the mediums and, and Russell uh sorry Hamilton started on the hard. So yeah, they were at different uh they were at different stages of the race. So um it made all sense in the world to do it like this. Yes, Mercedes definitely was able to have a more impressive Sunday and although Hamilton did have to concede to Russell. He still managed to make the most out of his Sunday. Being able to start in P13 and come back to finish in P6 is still a satisfactory result. It is. It is definitely. Do you have any other fast fives? You know what? I actually don't. I mean, we could go over the things that we've already discussed, but ultimately I think we've highlighted pretty much everything that would have been involved in the fast fives. Unless there's anything else you want to add. No, that was it. Let's go into scores. <laughs> well, you're up, Anton. Let's get into the scores. How did we do this weekend? Well, my part is the easy part. You're you're still going to have to do a whole lot of guesswork, so... Um, <laughs> So yeah, let's uh, let's look at the amount of players that we had for this weekend. Do you have any idea? Because last last week you cheated, so <laughs> <laughs> I I accidentally cheated. All right, all right, we won't count. Anyway, how many people? Is that played? even is that even a, a a a proper thing? I accidentally cheated. Anyways, um, how many? Okay, I'm gonna guess we had 527 last weekend, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to say 515. We have 502 players. Ah, okay. So the average score, and then this is actually quite interesting, but then again, the finish was a little bit easier to predict. I guess the podium where you score most points was easier to predict uh, compared to last last race. So the average score was 55.8, which is a higher average score than we had for Baku, which had a sprint race included. So there were 37 points, no, 36 points more that you could score. Um, so yeah, that's actually quite interesting. And uh, I think one thing that would be interesting to look at is 
the amount of people that predicted a correct podium. So how many people had Verstappen, Perez, Alonso predicted in that exact order? I think that it was quite high. I'm going to say 72. I'm going to actually sit here and applaud, but not because you got it right, but because you I, got really, really close. I just really, oh, really? Okay, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized I realized when you said the average score, and then I just started doing the math in my head after I said 72, and I thought, oh, no, I'm probably way off. No, no, no. There were 70 correct podium predicts. No way. Yeah, so 72, that was a good guess. That was a good guess. I need to take the same energy and infuse it into my picks next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. So we had... Uh, <laughs> so we had... <laughs> Uh, a podium of course and um, you know the interesting thing is that the people on the podium uh, two out of three were people that played the game for the first time so um, so yeah the winner of this week was playing forecast f1 for the second time um, he's from austria his name is robert hutter and he scored 85.3 points congratulations so, that's nice second time and already at the top that is very good indeed. I think he only scored 26 points last time out, but uh, but so that's a big improvement. And that's that's a very, very good improvement, given that he had a correct podium. And also, he put Sainz on P5, he put Hamilton on P6, he had Gasly on P8, and he had Ocon on P9. Those were all correct. Well done. I mean, there are some of us out here, and uh, not pointing any fingers at anybody, but there are some people that, that have been playing this game for quite a while and have never scored that so very well done <laughs> yes no it's a very good score indeed the second place is actually a second shared place so there's two people who scored 84.5 points that was and these are the two people that got on the podium playing the game for the first time ever uh, they are mika walter from new zealand he had a correct podium and also had Russell on P4 and Ocon on P9. And then we had Ander Ferreira from the Dominican Republic, who also had a correct podium, also had P4 Russell, had P6 Hamilton, P8 Gasly. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, pretty impressive if you're playing it for the first time in your life. Absolutely. And what better incentive to want to continue to play? If you're doing that well in the beginning... Who knows where you're going to end up by the end of the season with your total points? Yeah, that's that's right. I think we should actually... <laughs> do you know how many points you scored, Sam? I think I do. How many did you I score? I mean, it wasn't impressive. That's why I said earlier, if anyone's pointing fingers, I mean, that. when I mean that, the finger is pointing at myself in terms of performance since I started Forecast F1 and, my, and, and the best that I can do. But I think that I finished with about 58 points. Yeah, that's that's, that's right. I'm, I'm just Was looking it? at it right now. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we actually got very close. You scored 58 mm -hmm. points. I scored 60 points. We should actually um, keep track of how we're doing and how we're competing against one another throughout the, throughout the season. Um, but, uh, sure. We can, I, I'm, uh, there's nothing wrong with a little healthy dose of competition. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I agree. I agree. Well, there's there's some points between us. I have 259 points thus far, and you have 236 and a half. So, um, so yeah, there's still uh, there's still some 
room to. I've got well, some work to do. Yeah, is, is I don't want to tell saying. you to get better at it, but <laughs> <laughs> I've got some work to do. Well, listen, my practice is going to be is is us doing this podcast because I'm just going to keep on honing into to gut gut decisions and maybe it'll work. Actually, no, I take that back because again, I, I said this on our last episode that I went with my gut decision last week. And we know where that went. It it didn't go very far. So I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not going to think too much into it. I, I already do that enough. So I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to do my very best to try to catch up to you. That's all I yeah. can say. <laughs> yeah. You, you outscored me pretty heavily in the Saudi weekend, but in all of the other races, I scored more points than you did. But then again, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tables might be turned again next, next Let's race. Flip that in weeks. there, huh? That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, I'm just going over it now for the first time. So, um, I, but yeah, I mean, this is only five races into the season. Things might turn out yeah. very, very differently if, uh, yeah, five races ahead. I think that no matter what, one thing's for certain, we can, we can do as best as possible, but I don't think either you or me are going to beat Una's score. No, 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 no. That's that's <laughs> certain. No, I just I'm curious where we where we will end up uh, in the in the overall rankings. I don't know if you if you know. I don't even know myself where we are. So let me let me have a look at that. So I'm currently ranked number 86. You're currently ranked 163. So okay, yeah. I just I'm I'm curious to see where we will end up at the end of the season, but um, but looking again at the scores of this weekend, and looking at the the high scores overall <clears throat> overall worldwide, so um, we always keep track of the twenty highest scores that have been scored uh, throughout the season so far, and um, actually the top five scores of this weekend made it into the top twenty high scores. Uh, that means that. Um, the previous high score or the previous winners from the Bahrain weekend are now no longer in the in the top twenty, and we had um, well the three people that were on the podium this weekend made it into the top five, and um, then there was a shared uh, P four also this weekend, uh, so those two people also made it into the high scores, uh, the overall high scores worldwide. Those were Leonardo Toledo from Mexico and Pratibimba. Adikari from Nepal. Very nice. Yeah. So let's have a little bit of a look at the competition. We already mentioned uh, where where we are in the competition, and um, uh, we always look at who were in the first three spots previous time out. And there's actually a first time for everything because this was the first race weekend where the person that was in p1 last time out has remained his p1 position okay and who is that yeah so that was tobias jolie from france who had a 33 point gap towards number two last time out number two was matteo poletti so the gap between number one and number two now has extended to 36 points uh, matteo poletti is no longer on p2 he only scored 61 points this weekend. He's now on P5. And um, Tobias Soli himself scored 71 points. And the new number two is Diana Milojevic from Bosnia and Herzegovina. And she scored 82 points this weekend. So 
She finished P7 overall during this Miami weekend. She was previously ranked P13 in the standings, and she's now P2. And actually, Philip Hoayek, who was P3 last time out, has remained his P3 position in the league. He scored 69 points in Miami, uh, which keeps him at a total of 310.5 points. That's great. And congratulations to Diana on entering for the first time into the high scores. Good. So let's move on to doing the weekly quiz and looking at how many people got the finishing positions correct. So we start with P1, like we always do. So first one is how many people correctly predicted Verstappen to be the winner of Miami? Well, we said 72. 70, I believe you said, were the correct podium, right? That's right. So That's right. I'm going to say 115. Okay, I'll let you redo it, because do you really think that? <laughs> Is it you, that bad? Well, look, wow. I mean, there's 502 people who play the game, so how many do you think only 100? How many did you say? How many people do you think <laughs> are going to put for stopping on P1? I got too confident at this point. I, I yeah. was really thinking I was going places with the 72 choice. Okay. Think about Let it. People it actually back. won a score point. So, yeah, it's quite likely Verstappen <laughs> <laughs> is going to win the race, you know, or either him or Paris. But, yeah, so it's okay. a little bit higher. I'll let you re-guess. Okay, okay. I'm going to go with <laughs> 225. Uh, you know, at least people will realize that this whole thing is not a setup. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that bad? <laughs> no, I don't know. It's, it ain't that bad. But uh, it's three, 381 people. Oh, my gosh. Okay. First of all, 381 of us chose Verstappen to take P1. That's, that's a lot. Uh, but also, I was way up. 150. Wow. That was my first choice. <laughs> How many people do you think actually had Perez predicted as a winner of this race? 50. No, hold on. <laughs> Let me take it back. Um, no, you know what? I'll go with 52. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not bad at all. It's 78. So I also want to ask you, okay, those are the, the, the most mostly predicted P1, but which driver do you think um, came third? As, as having the most predictions for, for finishing first after Verstappen and Perez? I'm going to say Leclerc. Oh, very good. How many people? <laughs> 37. 21. Oh, okay. So 21 people predicted Leclerc as finishing first this race. So he was the third driver, um, the third most picked driver as, as winning this race. But um, yeah, you know, personally, I had thought that after Verstappen and Perez, it would have been Alonso. But actually, uh, people picked Leclerc more often than, than Alonso, and people even picked Hamilton more often than Alonso. So there were 11 people that picked Hamilton as the winner of the race. That's quite well, surprising. Yeah, and, and I'll say this, at least in terms of my own decision, maybe this was the same for others when they chose Leclerc on the podium, he managed to secure pole last week. Although he has been struggling, he still he he was he was the closest competitor to Verstappen and Perez last weekend. And then this weekend they came in with upgrades. So one could be hoping that maybe he was going to make a large difference. For me, I chose him in P3 because I thought, well, 
based on last weekend with the upgrades, maybe there was going to be something there, but unfortunately not. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I also had him at P3. So Did you? Yeah, I did. Wow. So no wonder we were so close in points. Yeah, true. So we established that 381 people picked Verstappen as the winner of the race. Perez finished second. How many people correctly predicted that? I'm going to say, well, three. you said 381 picked Verstappen to win the race, right? Yeah, and we said that there were 70 correct podium predicts, so at least it's going to be 70. I'm going to say 202. 254. So I, I, consider okay. that, I consider that a good guess. That's a high number. And think about the confidence that people have in Red Bull in general. 381, majority of the people that played the game chose both Verstappen and Perez in P1 and P2. Yeah, and that's, I guess, where it's going to head towards the rest of the season is putting those two, P1, P2, uh, <laughs> if you want to score points. Anyway, let's move on. You never on know. To, yeah, you never no, you're know. Right, you're right. Let's hope it <laughs> turn out slightly different uh, than that. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I expect people to predict that. I, I hope things turn out differently and I hope people score very little points and that we see a couple of uh, good mix-ups. But, um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see them when we get there. Um, Alonso, P3. How many people had him on P3? I'm going to say 85. 108. Okay. Yeah, it's quite a high number, too. That is a high number. Russell P4. Four, no. <laughs> I'm going to say 22. Yeah, you're right, lowering the number a little bit. It's it's 51, though. Still quite a decent amount of people. Yeah, that is, that is a solid amount. Signs P5. I'm going to go back to a low number. I'm going to say 36. Yeah, this is a slightly surprising one. There was 119 people, 119, who had him at P5. That's quite a lot. Wow. I'm yeah. surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised. So, so am I. So am I. Um, although I guess if you're thinking that Red Bull is the, first, uh, the quickest car and then you have Alonso up there and then the second car, the the third or second fastest car being Ferrari that you put Leclerc, Sainz, and then, yeah, Sainz ends up at P5. But anyway. Well, that uh, was my strategy. I did have I did have that strategy in mind, having Ferrari as the second or third top team in my picks. So Sainz I had chosen around there as well. I just didn't expect that the number was going to be so high that others did. Right, yeah. I had him in P6 myself. So P6 was Hamilton. How many people put him there? I'm going to say 43. So this one's also surprisingly high. It's 125. Oh, wow. But I guess wow. we can continue on the same reasoning. If Ferrari is, you know, the uh, the third fastest car after Alonso, you know, putting Leclerc signs and then you go to Mercedes, you put Hamilton and Russell, then yeah, Hamilton ends up at the P6. So yeah, 125 people. Impressive. So we then have Leclerc who finished P7. How okay. Many people, how many people put him there? Okay. I am going to say it's probably a low number. I'm going to go with 18. Oh, yeah, it is a low number. It's only 10 people. <laughs> no doubt. Gasly P8. I'm going to say 12. 
41 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, because I guess you'd expect Leclerc to be a little bit higher up, but the Alpines, around the places where they finished... Well, let's get to the next Alpine, Ocon, who was a P9. I'm going to give that a pretty high number. Uh, I'm going to say maybe... I'll say something close to Gasly, 37. It was 74 people, so it was oh. quite quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he he has been he has been out of the two drivers the one that's been performing a little more consistent in the top 10. True. True. Although Gasly, yeah, he's had he's just had a lot of bad luck as well uh, for the first races in the season. All right, let's go to the P10, Magnussen. How many people predicted that correctly, P10? I'm going to say 10. <laughs> 10 for P10. I think that's the closest guess so far in the list from you. It's, it's 14 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you get the bonus question, which is the fastest lap, which was <laughs> taken by Verstappen. How many people predicted that? I think this is going to be fairly high. I'm going to go with 280. Yeah, you're close. You're very close. It's 264. That was a really good guess. Nice. So that's the end of the Miami quiz. Well, the next race takes place the May 19th weekend. It's in Imola. Historic, iconic Imola. So we know or we are assuming, we we have an idea that some teams are going to bring some major upgrades. There's talk that Mercedes is going to bring major upgrades to Imola. Maybe Ferrari is going to add a little bit more. What are your thoughts going into the next race? I think that Imola is the first out of a triple header, isn't it? It is. So that's going to be exciting. So we're going to have three races that quickly follow in succession. I think after Imola, we have Monaco. And after that, we have uh, Spain, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It's going to be really exciting. I can't wait. I hope we're going to see some changeable weather conditions for once. <laughs> I know oh, I'm sure people, we will. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people I'm were sure hoping we for that on Miami as well. But, um, but yeah, uh, I hope we get some uh, exciting races. And um, yeah, let's let's hope that Imola is one of them. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it. Another episode in the books. Book closed, but hopefully we can open it up quickly again. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>